from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We're specifically focused on the inner planets and the moon and surfaces and interiors. The other nodes deal with atmospheres or rings, like rings around Saturn, mm. or magnetic fields, or images alone, and navigation through the solar system. So we're actually a, a, a federation. I'm Sarah Fenske. Washington University recently got some good news from the federal government. The university earned renewal of its contract assisting NASA. The $11.8 million award ensures another five years of archiving the data generated by NASA's work on Earth's nearest neighbors. In short, most of what mankind knows about Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Earth's moon sits on servers right here in St. Louis. And joining us today to tell us more is Raymond Arvidson. He's a professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Washington University. Raymond, welcome back. Oh, thanks for inviting me. So congratulations on this contract renewal. Does that come as a big relief, or did you kind of assume you had it in the bag? <laughs> no, it's always a relief, because <laughs> what happens <clears throat> every five years, we have to write a full proposal, and that proposal is reviewed by a panel of peers, and we got really good reviews and, and full funding. So we're good for another five years to do this important archiving work. So that is a big relief. You've been doing this work since the 1990s. What originally made NASA seek out help from the outside when it comes to archiving this data? Oh, that's an excellent question. So in the 1980s, there was a National Academy study <clears throat> that basically concluded that we were losing the data from the various NASA missions. So as a big idea, why not put the data sets in locations and in institutions where there are people, scientists actually using the data. And that led to the idea of distributed archives, which is what NASA is following. So, you know, we archive the data from NASA's planetary missions, as you said, for Mercury, Venus, Earth's moon, and Mars. And gosh, we serve out on the web maybe about 300 terabytes of data. That's, that's a lot. Hmm. And so this is one of six uh, discipline-specific nodes at institutions across the country. What makes it different than the others? We're specifically focused on the inner planets and the moon and surfaces and interiors. The other nodes deal with atmospheres or rings, like rings around Saturn hmm. or magnetic fields or images alone and navigation through the solar system. So we're actually a, a, a federation where we talk to one another and access, access each other's data sets. So it works and that you put the data close to where the people use the data. So they have to have, you know, useful archives. So the whole system seems to be working pretty well. So when you talk about surfaces and interiors of some of these nearby planets, this seems like the real area of growth in knowledge recently. Maybe I just think that because you guys are here and, and you're doing this archiving, but it seems like there's been some big breakthroughs on your front. There have, particularly for Mars, you know, and that's a subject of um, exploration by a number of nations. And the reason is the more we look, you know, down on the surface with the two active rovers, Curiosity and Perseverance, it's clear from the ancient rocks that Mars was once warm and wet and had extended lakes and rivers and steam-charged volcanoes. So 
those rovers and the orbiters looking down are all kind of focused on was the planet habitable and eventually, you know, searching for ancient life or extant life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're right in the middle of it, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's super exciting. It's like some of life's biggest questions are at play here. I think when you were last on, we were talking about the launch of the Perseverance rover. Has there been a lot of information that's come in since that, that's continuing to shape uh, your thoughts on all this? Oh, oodles of information. You know, the rover landed in February, and underneath on the underbelly, it has a small helicopter called Ingenuity, which has been flying since roughly April and kind of exploring regions for the rover to go to. So the main point of Perseverance is to drill into the rocks in this deltaic deposit, like the, the Mississippi Delta, although ancient and dry today. Mm-hmm. It was once wet, a lake. And get those, those core samples all sealed and put out onto the surface. And then in the next few years, there'll be a, a rover called a fetch rover to go get them and then put them into an ascent rocket, rendezvous with an orbital spacecraft, and return those things to Earth. Because we're really after, you know, we follow the water. We know there was water in ancient times. We know the planet was habitable in terms of the chemistry in the water. Now we're after biosignatures. And that's what Perseverance is doing. It's collecting the samples to get them back to Earth in the labs to search for evidence for ancient life. So when you talk about those samples coming back to Earth, uh, because this is like under the purview of your node, does that mean those samples then come to St. Louis? Oh, no. So we will have a lot of data about the samples, but they'll be actually stored, archived, at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, where they have a, a complete facility for storing samples kind of um, in a very, very special way, so they're not contaminated by being on Earth in any way. Okay. But so all this data is coming in, and I understand there's still data coming in from some of the exploration rovers that aren't even roaming Mars anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I'm involved in the Curiosity rover that landed in 2012, and we're still climbing up the side of what's called, called Mount Sharp, and we're leaving um, what are ancient lake beds with mud cracks and and rivers running through them and climbing upstairs on this this little hill called Mount Sharp. Actually, it's three miles high and moving into what we think will be, you know, these these very ephemeral kind of salty lakes. So it looks like we're going to explore how Mars dried out. But right now, Mars is behind the sun. (laughs) So we can't talk to any of the vehicles on Mars, either the, the two rovers or the orbiters. So we had a specially kind of communicate with them right before, you know, we lost communication. So they'll survive until probably three weeks from now, where they'll pop out from the other side of the sun and we can begin operations again. Wow. So you're kind of counting down the moments until they they come around the other side. And then is it expected there'll be a treasure trove there waiting for you? No, because they're kind of in safe mode. Mm. You know, we we didn't want them to drive around or, or acquire data without communications to and from the earth every few days. So actually we're we're resting. Right? <laughs> we're catching up on all the data that have come here before and then getting ready for another deluge of data, 
you know, in a few weeks when the vehicles come out from on Mars from behind the sun. Okay. So you talk about being on the dark side there. Um, you know, there's just so many factors that we may not think about that are going on on these planets that are far from us. And in June of 2018, that included a dust storm that actually took oh, out yes. one of these rovers. That, that sounded like yeah. that was a heartbreaking moment there. It really was. So this was opportunity that landed in 2014. And I, I was the deputy principal investigator for that mission. So it meant a lot to me. So you have to realize, Sarah, that these were guaranteed for like six months, both spirit and opportunity. Opportunity lasted from January 2014 to June 2018. Wow. Well, way, well, well out of warranty, just well-made American vehicle. And we didn't lose it because of the rover. We lost it because of the environment. Massive dust storm. And there just wasn't enough energy, solar energy on the solar panels to survive. So the, the solar panels just got kind of covered with dust, and that was enough to just shut things down. Well, yeah. So <clears throat> there was a the biggest dust storm we've ever seen. Mars has a thin atmosphere, but the winds are really high, and it picks up a lot of dust. This was global. So we the last time we heard from Opportunity, it was saying, well, I have one-fortieth the amount of solar energy on my panels needed to survive. Oh, boy. So it said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore until it clears. But after a couple of weeks, you know, with this old rover, we think it lost its memory and didn't know when to wake up. So we tried hailing it for about six months. And then NASA said, you know, Ray, we're kind of done here. So just declare it done. Oh, so NASA was ready to move on. It sounds like you accepted that. Maybe you weren't quite ready to close the door yet. Oh, not at all. But it was an excellent return on investment. <laughs> yeah, that does sound pretty impressive. <laughs> so I, I understand that one of the byproducts of this very sad event is it, it revealed just how many people were not just following along, but were emotionally invested in what the opportunity was doing. Did that come as a surprise to you, just the outpouring of grief over this machine? We've known this ever since Spirit and Opportunity landed in 2004. People just follow the mission. Yeah, so I think the reason is the cameras are at eye height, and the terrain that we were looking at is eerily like, like the Mojave Desert in California or, mm. or other places people may have been. So it's kind of like, you know, your long-lost cousins are in Mongolia and sending you back snapshots, you know, of what the terrain looks like. So we had groups that... Uh, Ray, are, are you still there? No. Oh, goodness. Ray was sounding so good, and I think we may have just suddenly lost that connection. We're going to try to get him back. Um, we do have just a few minutes left of the show, and boy, do we really want to try to get Ray back. So we'll see if we can get working on that. Um, in the meantime, if you're enjoying this conversation or any of the conversations we have, I want to encourage you to check out our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. You can just search for St. Louis on the Air there. We post links to pretty much every conversation we have on air, um, and then you can listen at your convenience if you miss it in real time. I understand Ray may be back with us. Ray? <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes. Hi. I'm so glad to hear that you're back. Um, we were talking about that connection that people felt like these images that were coming from Mars were, were like from their long lost cousins, maybe from the Mojave Desert. <laughs> that sort of connection. Is that part of what you see your work on this sort of archiving and, and making this available, that, that people can understand that connection to this almost alien world? Yeah. So what we want to do is actually put together the data and all the documentation, all the images in something called an analyst notebook. So we can actually play back the mission, you know, and experience the kind of what we did, when we did it, how we did it, where we did it, and what we found. 
So those are, are available on the web, and they're used by GWIS countries all around the world, which is great, you know, because it's really, you know, Mars doesn't belong to anybody. We really want to share the data and the results. And when you say people can play it back, is this something that would make sense to a layman and, and, and a layman could access this? At the top level, you can get a sense for what the rovers were doing. Okay. So that is something that people can access on, on a certain level, even if they can't fully understand everything that's there. That's right. Do you feel like, I mean, this is, a, a, I guess, part of NASA's mission and part of your mission as you're helping them with all this, that this is something that's good for humanity to just know more about this kind of thing? Well, the way, the way I look at it, we're exploring the planets, including Mars, to better understand ourselves. You know, is, is, did life get started there and evolve? Or are we alone in the solar system? And also, you know, Mars it was warm and wet early, but then kind of went into the deep freeze, and why? Mm-hmm. So that, that helps us understand the Earth, because it's the same physics and chemistry, you know, just kind of a different set of um, circumstances. So it all comes back to better understanding us and the Earth. You know, when you describe, you know, how warm and wet this used to be and what you see in old riverbeds and lake beds, do you worry that this represents a a bad harbinger for the future of the Earth? Oh, not at all. And the reason is we know why Mars went into the decrease, because it's further from the sun, Mm -hmm. one and a half times away, and it's also smaller, half the size of the Earth. So these these smaller planets cool down pretty quickly in terms of the internal heat, the volcanoes and the gases. And, and volcanoes and gases, that's where our you know, greenhouse gases come from, you know, with the exception of fossil fuel burning. But um, without, you know, volcanic gases, the Earth would be in the deep freeze. But we're still hot on the inside, uh, and a lot of magma is coming up and fueling the, the gases into the atmosphere that make us warm and wet even today. Well, it's good that for once, uh, something out there is not a cautionary tale for Earth. I'm going to enjoy this moment while it lasts. Uh, Raymond Arvidsson, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Ray is a professor of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Washington University. This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.